If we haven't met before, my name is Emma Perkis. I'm the worship pastor here at Christchurch, and that means I get the absolute joy and delight of leading us in song worship and leading our wonderful worship team, our tech operators and musicians. And let me tell you, we as a team are so glad to be able to hear you all singing with us again. It's such a joy. And song worship is supposed to be done in community together. And that's what we see in our psalm today. Verse three, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. God has seen us through this challenging season so far, and he will see us through the rest. I really loved what Denise said, the Lord will see us through. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me today? Open our ears to hear what you are saying, our eyes to see what you are doing, and our minds and hearts to receive the truth of your word. Amen. So let's go through the psalm together. I'm going to concentrate on a few verses and pick out some promises that we can know. I'll be honest, when I first looked through it, I thought it was a bit random the way it progressed, um, but I think we can see some themes coming together. So verse one, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Extol is one of those words we don't use very often. It means to praise enthusiastically. So how, how many of us can actually say this is true? I will enthusiastically praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I know I aspire to this. But the reality is I'm not a 24-7 walking, talking worship song. My life is not 100% rejoicing in the Lord. My thoughts are not always good, noble, pure and lovely, as Paul writes. My heart sometimes forgets who God is and who he says I am. I think this is common to all of us. So then how can David say the praises of God will always be on his lips? We know he spent a lot of time looking after sheep on the hillside, praising God. But we also know that he messed up. He was not extolling the Lord when he lusted after Bathsheba or when he had her husband Uriah murdered. And yet he still writes, the praises of the Lord are always on my lips. So maybe it's a goal for him, a prayer. Let's dive into his life and examine the cause of this prayer. So in the book of 1 Samuel, we find the context. King Saul, the first king of Israel in the Old Testament, was jealous of David because God had chosen David to be king. He was the true anointed one. So God had given David victory in all the battles he fought against the Philistines, and Saul was jealous that people were praising David more than him. Chapter 18 of 1 Samuel tells us an evil spirit entered Saul, and Saul knew that the Lord had left him. This increased Saul's fear of David so much that he wanted to kill him. So in chapter 21, we find David fleeing for his life, seeking help from Achish, who is also known as Abimelech, and he was the king of Gath. 
Now, one of his servants recognizes David. And this is a problem because Goliath, the Philistine champion that David had killed, came from Gath. So we can assume the king of Gath wouldn't be too pleased to see David once he knew who he was. Jin Yong read the heading of our psalm for us that David pretended to be insane before this king. And the king drove him away and he left. A look with me at 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2, if you've got your Bibles open. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. This is a really interesting journey, matching our psalm with this context. Look with me now at the psalm, verses 1 to 3. I will extol the Lord at all times. Verse 2, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Verse 3, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Can you imagine David singing this new psalm with his family and the others in the cave? The whole psalm is David's testimony of God saving him from Abimelech and from Saul. He took refuge in God, and God saw him through. But he doesn't want to do this praising alone. He wants all those with him to praise God as well. And the people with him are in distress, in debt, and discontented, as we know from Samuel. They are the afflicted. And verse 2 says, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. As those with David hear his testimony, they can rejoice. And in verse 3, David invites them to glorify God with him to exalt the name of the Lord together. So David's a great worship leader. He sings his testimony and invites others to rejoice with him. So can't we, the family of God, do the same for one another? We all have a part to play in leading one another in God's praise. If there wasn't a worship team, if my role didn't exist, the church would still worship. As we sing together in community, as we gather together, we can share our stories with one another. What has God done for you in this season? Will you share it with us? As Denise and Shirley and Jean and Ali for her father, grandfather have done. Because at some point we will probably all experience affliction. So when David says, let the afflicted hear my worship and rejoice, we can all do that. We share testimony to encourage one another to rejoice. We build one another up when we are going through difficult times and we celebrate with one another. We help each other in our times of need. Let's look at David's testimony together as an example. Verse four, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. David was running for his life. He was afraid, but God gave him a way out and delivered him from those men. 
David took refuge in God and God saw him through. Verse six, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. I would assume that David was praying as hard as he could when he was standing in front of Abimelech. He called out and the Lord heard him. God gave David a means to escape and a place to hide. Now I'm not sure I would have been able to sing that. You saved me from all my troubles if Saul was still chasing me. But David does. He enthusiastically praises the Lord in that place too. He doesn't let his present circumstances dictate God's goodness. And that is faith. And faith allows him to say in verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. David took refuge in God and God saw him through. He invites us, his listeners, to taste and see that the Lord is good in verse eight. How do we taste and see? To taste something is to try it, take a bit of something and experience it. Taste that the Lord is good. Try out this promise. Experience God's character. Listen to the testimony that God is good. Our present circumstances don't dictate God's goodness. And David says, blessed is the one who takes refuge in the Lord. So savor this. See what it reveals about God. When we taste a testimony, we see God's goodness. So let's help each other in sharing our stories to experience the full banquet of God's goodness. Between us all, we see the bigger picture of who God is, not just our part, but everybody's. Everyone here has a part to play in sharing God and revealing him to one another through our praise. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. It's a goal, it's a prayer, and it's even a prophetic statement because there is one person who can fulfill that line. Jesus, he extolled his father at all times and his words always gave his father praise. He was so afraid in Gethsemane, knowing the cross was ahead. He didn't want to go through it, but he still chose it. He had faith, even on the cross. In the face of persecution, he glorified God. He still called him father, even when he felt forsaken because he knew his father's ears were attentive to his cry, as the psalm promised. He knew that this present circumstance didn't affect his father's goodness. Jesus took refuge in his father, and his father saw him through. So what other promises does David lay out for us? Look at verse five. Those who look to him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. I wonder whether David was thinking about Moses. Moses' face, we hear in Exodus, was radiant when he spoke with God in the mountain. He had to wear a veil when he came down 
as the people were afraid. But when he was with God, he removed the veil. He didn't have to hide. And Jesus was fully radiant in the transfiguration, not just his face, but his whole body. So when we look to God, we know that we can be fully seen. We don't need to hide his glory from those around us. David encourages us to share God's glory through our testimonies. Jesus has taken away our shame through making a way for us to enter into God's presence through the veil, his body torn on the cross. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 14 that only Jesus, only in Christ, can the veil be taken away. Verse 18 says, as we contemplate the Lord's glory with unveiled faces, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we become more radiant, we are more confident in sharing Jesus, unashamed of him. Our faces are no longer covered in shame. I don't know whether any of you are feeling shame this morning. It could be that others have made you feel that shame. Look to Jesus for affirmation of who he says you are. You might be feeling the shame of sin. Let me encourage you to turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Because Jesus is not ashamed of you. He will take your shame away if you seek him. When you take refuge in God, God sees you through the veil of shame. But we must fear the Lord. Here's the next promise, verses 9 to 10. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is interesting too, given the context. In 1 Samuel 21, David and his men were running from Saul and sought refuge with Ahimelech, the priest, not Abimelech, the king of Gath, Ahimelech, the priest. This is a different guy. David asks him for food. The only thing he has available is the consecrated bread. Now this could only be eaten by those who had kept themselves pure and holy. David and his men had done so that day in fear of the Lord, so they were allowed to eat the bread. So they lacked nothing because they feared the Lord. They took refuge in God and God saw them through. And Ahimelech also happened to have Goliath's sword to hand, so God provided David with a means of defending himself too. Those who fear the Lord truly lack nothing. This reminds us of the futility of our own strength. We can do nothing without God. When we take refuge in him, he sees us through. So does this mean that God will give us bread and a sword? I think this speaks of something deeper. We will lack nothing when we taste God's goodness. Tasting brings nourishment, and so God nourishes us. And the sword, well, when we take refuge in him, God fights for us. He protects us. 
one day there will be a great final battle where Jesus comes in judgment. But Jesus will bring his people, us, with him to eternal life. Now this is promised in verse 22. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And David teaches us how to do this in verses 11 to 14. To fear the Lord is a terrifying reverence and awe which comes when we see who he truly is, all-powerful creator, life-giver, redeemer. He holds the seat of judgment. But see how David holds the tension of fear and refuge. God is terrifying, and yet we can take refuge in him. He does hear our cry. He is close, he does protect, and he does rescue. David says, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from telling lies, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So this is how we fear the Lord. Don't lie or speak badly of people, but do good and seek peace. Although again, it's interesting to note that David kind of lied to Abimelech by pretending to be a madman. Yeah, he still tells us not to lie. So don't put too much faith in leaders, even your favorite Christian speaker, author, or worship band. Humans, we all get things wrong. So this points us to trust Jesus all the more. He never lied, he did good, he sought peace. He fulfills this psalm and rightly shows us what fearing the Lord looks like. Verses 15 to 21 have a theme for the next promises. God will uphold justice. The righteous are heard, delivered, protected, and their enemies will be slain. Is there someone who always gets you down? Maybe a difficult boss in the workplace? Don't worry, Anil, it's not you. (laughs) Know that God will uphold justice. He will help you remain pure-hearted, gracious, and righteous. Because we know that we are made righteous through Jesus' death. So we can be confident that God hears us, delivers us, and protects us. When we take refuge in God, he sees us through. And in verse 18, we find this beautiful promise. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When you are grieving, when your heart cries out, when your spirit is crushed, the Lord is close. Take a moment to reflect on where you might be brokenhearted. Maybe someone you know turned away from God. Maybe you lost a precious family member or a friend this year. Maybe you've got a diagnosis you can't come to terms with. The Lord is close. The Lord is close. It may not feel like it, but this psalm tells us Jesus is close. He promised us his Holy Spirit 
as comforter and sustainer. And the Spirit dwells within us, keeping us going. When we take refuge in him, he sees us through. Our troubles might not be taken away right now in the middle of it, but we can take refuge in God and he will see us through. He will deliver us. And this promise is true even if we have to wait until heaven. There will be no more tears or mourning or crying or pain in our eternal refuge, Jesus. Now David's men in the cave, the afflicted, in distress, in debt, and discontented. They came to David, and he pointed them to God. And so we can help each other look to Jesus in our times of need. We stand with one another in solidarity. We sit with one another in our grief. We pray on behalf of our brothers and sisters who are afflicted. You can praise Jesus for me when I can't lift my voice. And I will praise him for you when you can't see where he is. Anna's family, one day we will see the deliverance the Lord has promised. And thankfully our deliverance isn't dependent on our own righteousness. Jesus, although he did have many troubles, he stayed righteous. He's the only truly righteous person. And God's deliverance didn't mean that Jesus avoided trouble. We know he was horribly tortured and died a criminal's death. But the Lord did deliver him and raise him back to life three days later. So the promise remains. Take refuge in God and he will see you through. Verse 20 shows God's sovereignty. God promised the righteous person, Jesus, that none of his bones would be broken. And Jesus' bones were not broken. So God's promise was kept, but he still suffered. Normally crucifixions would be sped up by breaking the legs of the criminals so that they couldn't push themselves up to breathe. And the Spirit inspired David to write this prophetic statement in verse 20, that none of his bones would be broken. And we see this fulfilled in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 33 to 36. When they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. So John's testimony helps us to praise God that his promises are true. And three days later, the father saw Jesus through. His praise was always on Jesus' lips. On the cross in Gethsemane, he still praised his father, even as he was battling with whether he could trust his father to bring him through. He still said, let your will be done. 
So in your situation, whether in your head or heart, you may be wrestling with the question, can I extol the Lord? Can I trust him? Jesus being raised from the dead gives us this greatest testimony. If your refuge is in Jesus, he will see you through. On the days where you can't praise God, this psalm is true in Jesus so that it can be true in you. He always praises the Father for you. He stands before his Father interceding for you. And as his body, we are the church and we are here for each other too. Let's encourage one another to taste the goodness of the Lord by sharing our stories. Jesus fulfilled this psalm, so we won't be condemned if we take refuge in him. Verse one, this prayer is a goal, but it's also a truth in eternity. One day his praise will always be on our lips. Verse 22 promises us, the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. When we take refuge in Jesus, he will see us through to eternity with him. Amen.